figure this out. I feel like I have to be perfect. Always on. Always moving. Why, Why is, it, is it, it so loud? loud? <sighs> I desperately need a place where I can slow down. A space to call home. A home that allows me time to process. To discover who, who I'm, I'm meant, meant to be. be. We were never meant to do life on our own. So I... I, I will be a part of something greater. Well, good morning, Community Lincoln Park. It is great to be with you this morning. It's great to be continuing this new series we're doing on U+. Before we dive in, just one last announcement. This obviously is Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial Day weekend. I uh, don't know if any of you hopefully have time off tomorrow to be able to celebrate, to reflect. I, I just wanted to mention, I think this weekend is a great chance for us in the church to notice and name the incredible figure that is Martin Luther King. And uh, really, I come at Martin Luther King from my vocation as a pastor, which he was, and even from theology, which he did. And if you haven't before, I would just encourage you, uh, even tomorrow, to glance at his letter from a Birmingham jail. It's one of the most powerful pieces of theology I think I've ever read. Um, and to, to just intentionally lean in. I know Instagram, Facebook, everywhere else kind of blows up, all kinds of contents being spread, but uh, to just take this weekend as a chance to reflect on who Martin Luther King Jr. was, the work around racial reconciliation we still have to do, and yet um, really some of the joy that has been the Christian witness uh, in this struggle. So uh, all that to say, I'm going to turn us back to you, Pless. Uh, in talking about you, Pless, first question I have for you this morning, uh, did any of you get a chance to travel over Christmas? Any far-reaching travels outside of the United States? Anyone want to shout out the, let's even say the last year, what's the farthest place you've been away from home here in Chicago in this last year? Any? Wisconsin. All right, well, it's not as well-traveled a group as I thought we'd have here in Lincoln Park. Italy, Alaska, anyone else outside of the country? Portugal, Portugal. Uh, so I love the chance to get away. I love the chance to travel, uh, especially outside of Wisconsin. There's nothing wrong with Wisconsin, but uh, I love especially when we get a chance to get outside of the country. Um, because when you get outside of the United States, what you realize that you don't often live with here, even in a place like Chicago, is that you have a culture and wherever you're going has a very different culture than the culture that you are used to. If you've ever had the chance to go, especially somewhere that doesn't speak English. Uh, if you're there for a short trip, it's, it's fun and exciting, isn't it? You walk up as an American and you're like, hello, where do I eat? Can I get a hamburger, please? Uh, but if you stay for any longer than a week, what you begin to realize is that different cultures actually disrupt the fact that you expect your culture to be the culture that everyone else lives with. Um, I had this experience, even though we didn't go to a foreign-speaking country. Uh, most of you know my wife, Jenna, is from Belfast, from Northern Ireland. She immigrated over here, got the chance to remind me over and over and over again that American culture is not the only culture uh, that the world has. And yet I then uh, was able to receive the favor back from her when we moved about suggest to you that as we were beginning to talk about what it looks like to shift from you to you plus, 
that shift is going to look and feel a lot like traveling to a foreign culture in which you're going to need to learn an entirely new way of experiencing, of engaging, of speaking, and even of relating to each other. So where am I getting such a radical proposal to you that in order to shift from a you life, a life that is just about you, to a you plus life, which is this life of flourishing that God intends for you, uh, well, I'm getting it, grabbing it from the Gospels themselves. This morning, I want to give you this big overview of why the Gospels are actually teaching us that the good news of Jesus is not just that you have a you life, but it's that you have a you plus life. So if you want to open with me to a Bible, if you have it, you can open up to Matthew. We're going to be opening up to Matthew chapter 4. And in Matthew chapter 4, we're going to find Jesus giving us this big introduction to his entire ministry. So in a way, what I'm about to show you, or I already have up behind me, is the essence. It's the explanation Jesus is going to give. This is the definition of what Jesus wants to invite you into. And as Jesus goes to kick off his ministry, he's going to say simply this, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, I think even if you've maybe grown up around Christianity or grown up around religion, you've maybe heard this before, I think this phrase is actually a little more mysterious than many of us would think at first glancing at it, even if it sounds familiar in your ears. Slow down with this for just a moment. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. What is Jesus talking about? Why is this the way that Jesus wants to explain to us what his ministry, what his gospel is all about? Well, let's talk about this phrase, kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Uh, the first thing to know about this phrase that I think is actually pretty helpful is that kingdom is a good English translation, but kingdom, for me at least, brings to mind a kind of spatial realm, like a political realm. So a kingdom often has borders. It's maybe what we think of when we talk about nations or countries. It's a kingdom. In the Greek, the word for kingdom actually has a more active, ruling sense to it. So really what Jesus is saying is, repent for the kingship or the reign of heaven has come near. I think this actually helps catch our attention to some of what Jesus is implying in this. If kingdom is actually about kingship, and it's a kingship of heaven, why is it, as I noted in this one commentator I was reading on the passage, why is it that Jesus sort of says this like he assumes we all know what he's talking about? Well, in Jesus' day, one of the common sources of hope and inspiration was the book of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. And if you go to the book of Isaiah, this phrase, this refrain is actually going to come up quite a bit. Uh, if we go, Lane, to the passages from Isaiah, what we're going to find is that over and over again, Isaiah, as he's prophesying the good news for Israel, as he's giving us a vision of where Israel needs to go, Isaiah is going to talk about what it would mean for God to rule over Israel. So you see here Isaiah 23, 24, for the Lord Almighty will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before its elders with great glory. Uh, later on in Isaiah 52, 7, we're going to find this passage that Paul will quote later in his epistles. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim grace and bring good tidings, who proclaim, Zion, uh, proclaim salvation and also say to Zion, your God 
reigns. Here's one more from Isaiah 66. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? I go through these because I think it's helpful to see in Israel at the time, some of the language, some of the culture, some of the hope was actually that God's reign, God who everyone knew was reigning in heaven, like God has a throne up in heaven, they all believe that, but God's reign up in heaven would actually come down to the earth. Now just just ponder this for just a minute with me because I think this is important when it comes to the conversation we're going to be having over these next few weeks. What would it mean or look like if God, who was reigning in heaven, actually started to reign here on earth? How would God's reign, how would God's will, his intention, the way he ordered and structured society, how would it change the way that we together are interacting? What would it even mean for you if you were to be approached by Jesus today and were to hear him say this phrase, repent for God's reign has come near. It draws our attention to the fact that the culture, the way we're currently living, in fact, the kingdom that we may even be building, is not actually the kingdom that God may be intending to bring in and through our lives. If that's true, uh, I, I, I do want to ask and try to get clearer. Is there any help we can get on what it looks like when God actually does reign? If God is king, and if God wants to bring God's reign right down here onto earth, what would that mean? <laughs> what would that even look like? Isn't that kind of like a helpfully concrete question? If I were to see Jesus, I'd say, Jesus, what are you talking about? <laughs> Could you explain to me what does it mean when God's reigning? Well, thankfully, Jesus is actually going to give quite a few answers to this question. In fact, and this is just a fun encouragement challenge, if, if you haven't gone back to the Gospels in a while, again, I know some of you here have been Christians for a long time. A lot of you have probably been around Christianity for a long time. My encouragement to you would be go back to the Gospels with this sort of freshly in mind. What the Gospels are actually doing is giving us Jesus' life and teaching about what the reign or the kingdom of God looks like. Jesus puts it all on display. In fact, I, I would argue to you that when Jesus is going to move through his whole life and ministry, everything Jesus is doing is teaching us how to enter into the culture that is the reign or the kingdom of God. Now, I don't want to just leave you hanging this morning. I want to give you two specific examples so that we can reflect on this together. The first example is going to be from a prayer that Jesus is going to teach his disciples. I helpfully think back to my time in Northern Ireland, and I wish that my wife would have perhaps sat me down, and we could have had a conversation much like Jesus has with his disciples, where I could have said to her, can you please explain to me how to speak here among your Irish people? Like, could you just, could you, ex could you open this up? Could you unpack this for me? Could you show me how to talk? Uh, what we find in the Gospels in Matthew is that Jesus is going to be approached by his disciples, and his disciples are going to ask him, Lord, can you teach us how to pray? I love the practicality of this question. I love that the disciples are starting with the basics. I think it does reflect a bit on us as disciples that we need help even learning to speak in this kingdom, in this reign that God is trying to teach us. Yet Jesus very helpfully says, yes, I would love to teach you a prayer to help you learn how to speak within the reign 
in the kingdom of God. This is the prayer, of course, that Jesus teaches them. He says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you think about this for just a second, uh, this first opening salvo orients us towards a proper relationship with who is king, right? Not only do we acknowledge that there is a kingdom, a king, acknowledge that that king has a will for how everything should be ordered and structured here on earth, but beautifully we get to claim and remember that this king is actually our heavenly father. Isn't that kind of comforting? It's reassuring, and yet it is also challenging. It's, it's reminding us our eyes need to look out for where not our own kingdom is going, but where the king intends his will to take place here on earth as it is in heaven. Second half of this prayer. Uh, if the first part is sort of orienting our relationship, second part gets really practical and concrete. If I am a citizen of God's kingdom, I am allowed to make these requests. Today, give us our daily bread, please. God, King, my king, who can provide and meet all of my needs. Today, would you meet them by giving me the bread that I need? And also, king, would you forgive me of my debts, those debts that I've incurred against you, the debts that I've incurred against others, even as I now go and I forgive the debts of others. And please teach me, Lord, not to go into temptation, not to follow down all of these different paths and tracks and kingdoms that I could be tempted to build for myself, but instead help deliver me from evil and actually even the evil one. Isn't it interesting to kind of think about this prayer as the language of the kingdom, the language of what it looks like to be a citizen of the king? I grew up, I'm sure some of you did too, uh, saying the Pledge of Allegiance every day in elementary school. My wife found this so fascinating. She was like, you literally would stand. Yes, we would stand. You would pledge your allegiance. Yes, we would pledge our allegiance. To a flag. Yes, to a flag. It was the most neutral, safe thing any of us could pledge our allegiance to. Uh, I love that this prayer is actually the pledge of allegiance to a different kind of kingdom. Um, I had a season where I was working as a teller at a Chase bank. It was uh, one of those in-between seasons. It was as I was kind of going in between school and different programs. It was long, uh, felt long, even though I think it was only nine months. And as a teller, I was at the bottom of the totem pole. Um, the people I worked with were really quirky at my specific branch. And then the people who came into the branch were even quirkier. So every day it felt like I was just in this sort of repeated monotony of like strangeness and I, I wasn't really enjoying it and it was hard and long and it wasn't paying great. Yet, I had someone at the time uh, who was mentoring me just encourage me, you know, have you ever thought about praying the Lord's Prayer when you get out of the car? So, like, you get out of the car, it's your reminder, I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer, and then pray the Lord's Prayer as you get back into the car. And so, uh, I just have this memory of being up in Deerfield, where this branch was, and uh, getting out of the car, and every time, I would just pause for half a second, and I would say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive me my debts as I forgive those who debt against me. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. And as I, as I started to do that over and over and over again, it was interesting. It, it didn't make the job better, right? <laughs> like I wasn't enjoying it more. It didn't make the people any less strange. Uh, but it did, it did help begin to train me to see the way I was just entering into this bank differently. It gave me 
a language to shape my imagination. It reminded me that I actually was entering not on my own, but under a king who was currently sending me to work here as a teller at this bank. And actually, the people that I was working with were also image bearers of the same king who I should treat with dignity and honor and respect. And when I got my small paycheck, it was, my, in fact, my daily bread that God had provided for me. I share all this with you just because I think this is the kind of way that we can begin to learn a new kind of culture, to actually begin finding ourselves aligned with the reign of God currently in heaven, even now as you and I are trying to figure it out here on earth in the city of Chicago. This isn't the only picture Jesus gives, though, of what God's reign looks like. I want to give you one other one. This one happens in the Gospel of Luke. So in Luke, one of my favorite scenes, potentially, in the Gospels is this uh, epic scene, uh, if you've ever sat with it, where Jesus has just been baptized. He struggled against Satan in the wilderness. He comes out of the wilderness, and we're told that Jesus goes to Nazareth which is his hometown. And there in Nazareth is a synagogue. A synagogue is where uh, the rabbis would often gather, often the scroll of the, what we call the Old Testament, would be opened. And then a rabbi or a great teacher would sort of reflect on the meaning of a text, much like we do even now in the church today. And as Jesus returns to his hometown, he tells them to open the scroll of Isaiah. And they begin moving through Isaiah, and he says, go to this passage here in Isaiah 61 and read it. And this is what the passage says. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now check out this next verse in Luke 4, 20 to 21. It says, then he, Jesus, rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, go back to this previous passage. Let's just look at this for a second. Jesus says what Isaiah saw is taking place right now. The kingdom of heaven, the kingship of God has come near right now. And what it's going to look like is that the poor are going to hear good news, that the prisoners are actually going to be set free, the blind are going to receive sight, the oppressed are going to experience justice, and the Lord's favor is going to pour out on everyone. I love that if the Lord's prayer is in some ways quite personal, Right? The Lord's Prayer is almost a personal language for you to learn to sync up with the culture of God. This passage is so much more social, isn't it? This is like a community that has all of these different struggles. Uh, we've got people who have been put in prison for various reasons. We've got people who are blind or other sicknesses or maladies. We've got people who are experiencing oppression. And then we also have the poor who are vulnerable, who, who don't have enough resources to be able to provide for their basic needs. Jesus says, when God's kingship comes, when God's reign comes, all of these broken relationships are going to begin being set right. And actually, if you move throughout the rest of the Gospels with Jesus, what he proclaimed, that even now, in your presence, this is taking place, is exactly what Jesus does. Jesus goes to the poor 
and he tells them, hey, God favors you. God loves you. God has come down to be with you. Jesus goes to the prisoners and says, hey, I want to set you free. That you've been in bondage for too long and it is time for you to walk in a new freedom you've never had before. Jesus goes to the blind and he touches their eyes and he says, now you can see. And to the oppressed, to the outcast, to the orphans, to the lepers of society, Jesus touches them and says, come back in and belong here in the people of God. I love that this vision of Jesus's kingdom, this vision of God's reign here on earth, requires us to attend to the social relational realities around us. And yet here's what's even more incredible to me. As I was pondering this passage this last week, I couldn't help but think about people right here in this room right now who have experienced the very same fulfillment, the very same freedom, the very same reign that Jesus proclaimed all those years before. I could tell you stories right here in this room. You could hear these stories for yourself from people who were suffering from physical illnesses, maladies, mental health, and experienced newfound healing, newfound freedom, newfound purpose. You could talk to people who have been cast under the underbelly of society, who have been looked down at, ignored, who have here in the church found dignity, honor, right relationship restored. I could tell you about those who have been cared for right here in our midst when they were incredibly vulnerable, and I could tell you about people here who have been so generous that their generosity has either practically or big picture or even just relationally has set injustices to right. I love that here in this room, we actually have a witness to the very same thing Jesus promised 2,000 years ago, that today, in your presence, these promises are being fulfilled. This is the power of God's kingdom. This is, in fact, the good news of the gospel, and our encouragement to you through this series is that we, we want to invite you to move from a life where you are living on your own, where you are building your own kingdom, into a life that is fully immersed in the kingdom of God, that's fully synced up with this language, the cultures, the rhythms, the practices that Jesus came to teach. Yet, if you're with me up to this point, my suspicion is that if you sit for just a moment longer, or maybe even you go home and start pondering this for yourself, the question is, okay, John, that all sounds great, why is it then that so many of us struggle to experience these kinds of promises, this kind of good news, this kind of flourishing that the U plus life is all about? Well, I think if we were to go all the way back to where we started with this very first phrase that Jesus offered us, uh, you may have noticed we haven't spent a ton of time reflecting on that first word that Jesus says, which is repent. <laughs> for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repentance is incredibly difficult, even at the best of times. Uh, even when I'm calm, well-fed, feeling connected in love, it is a challenge to repent. I, I think repentance is especially difficult if you find yourself in any way marginalized, if you find yourself in any way anxious or stressed, because to repent requires you to step out of protecting yourself Step out of the kingdom you're trying to foster and nourish and to step into the rulership, the reign of another. 
Uh, I think if repentance is just naturally hard, we have one additional obstacle that I've kind of been gesturing to throughout this morning, and that is that we are, most of us here in this room, we are also Americans. <laughs> so as Americans, we have been told and ingrained in our imagination that we don't like kings. Am I right? Can I get an amen from an American? Uh, if you've watched the play Alexander Hamilton, you have felt within you the surge of pride as King George is trounced off stage uh, as the revolution in America proclaimed, we need no king. We build our own democracy. We, the people, will be able to sort this out. And for the last 250 years, to varying degrees of success, uh, we, the people, have in fact endured. Uh, yeah, I just gently, this morning, and to be totally clear, I, I of course am an American. I, I am proud of being an American. I, I love Coming from this country, I love many of the things this country has tried to do, but my reflection to you this morning is that being an American can make it challenging to repent and submit yourself once more to a king. Am I right? Uh, as one example to this, I just want to reflect briefly on the culture of being an American uh, with an example of one of the great icons of the last 30, 40 years. Uh, some of you have heard me bring him up before, and that's Steve Jobs. I've gotten fascinated by Steve Jobs as really a revolutionary, as an iconic thinker, as someone who has advanced technology in significant ways. Yet as I was reflecting on Jesus and the way that Jesus comes to proclaim the good news of God's kingdom, I couldn't help but think about Steve Jobs who very cleverly began year after year to have a proclamation event at his, uh, at his developers conference where Steve Jobs would stand up on a stage and would unveil to you good news. Apple has developed a new product that can significantly advance your life. Uh, in 1997, Steve Jobs iconically unveiled a new campaign slogan that defined Apple for a solid decade. If any of you remember what this was, the iconic slogan was, Think Different. Think Different different. It's summarized for Jobs and for all of Apple, the essence of the human spirit, to be creative, to be independent, to be free. And ultimately, Steve Jobs in the year 2008 would unveil the magnum opus of his career, which is of course a product that I myself have. You can remember what he called it, the iPhone. <laughs> Your phone is about I. It is the iPhone. The good news is that with this phone, you now can have the whole world at your fingertips. The kingdom is yours. Build it in whatever way you want. Think different. And then you come to church on a Sunday and you hear Jesus say, repent because this kingdom is not actually about you. And there is actually a king who wants you to submit yourself fully to him. I think this is challenging. <laughs> I think this is a struggle. I think this is why Christianity is, in fact, a difficult and costly embrace. And yet, for you this morning, I just want to offer you this encouragement as you're contemplating this. One of the best things we can do together as a community is to come alongside each other and find g guides, mentors, fluent cultural speakers that we can look up to who can begin to teach us the rhythms the language and the customs of this kingdom. 
In fact, for the next eight weeks, what we want to do is take you on a journey through a series that we're calling You Plus. The series is going to be on the Sermon on the Mount. And the reason why we're sitting with Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is because Jesus with this sermon is going to cover everything. In fact, I would encourage you to think that this sermon is the fluent cultural speaker. In fact, the king describing to you the culture that you are being invited to step into. And it might, in fact, force you to learn some new words or to restrain some words you used to use. It might teach you some new habits and practices or rhythms to your week that you didn't have before. There might even be some radical shifts, some allegiances that it exposes you had, kingdoms you were trying to build that you may need to abandon. Yeah, I'm so excited that for eight weeks together, we want to step into what this kingdom of God, what this you plus life can look like, and I think help each other come alongside each other, learn how to speak this new language and custom. Uh, if you haven't yet, two last practical steps as encouragement, if this is sparking any intrigue or desire within you. The, the first is that we're currently in this time of prayer and fasting. I would encourage you, prayer and fasting, in whatever way, uh, it's not too late to join in now. We've got 14 days left. You can fast from food regularly with us, or there are tons of other ways that you can fast from social media, from entertainment, uh, from specific coffee shops. I mean, you name it, you can fast from it. In this season, it's a way for us to restrain these voices of our culture and to actually identify and, and expose. Is, are there new cultures? Are there new customs? Are there new practices that Jesus is trying to invite us into. Um, finally, there's this tool that we're really excited to unveil. We're going to keep talking about it over these next couple weeks. Uh, for the last year, we've been developing here at Community a tool that we're calling a U-plus conversation. A U-plus conversation. And the idea behind it is that you would do a bit of reflection it's about a 20 to 30 minute reflection exercise. We've got some guided questions. There's a website. You can actually even go to it now and check it out if you're interested. And all this reflection is trying to stir in you is where are you hungry for God? Where is it that you would like to grow? Where is it that God is speaking to you? What is it that God is doing in your life? And then this is the really practical part. When you do this reflection exercise, we didn't want to leave you alone to just sort of figure it out but we actually wanted to come alongside and partner with you by having someone engage you in a conversation. So you can, again, find exactly the questions they're going to ask. It's a pretty simple exercise. It should take 45 minutes to an hour, depending on how the conversation goes. It can happen over coffee. We could do it with you over Zoom. Uh, but here's what's so great. I had a chance to receive a U-plus conversation, and then I've been having U-plus conversations with our staff, with some of our small group leaders. It's amazing how taking this hour with a fluent speaker to sit down with you and to ask you, hey, where, where are you like synced up with Jesus? Where are you looking to grow? What are the things you're looking to learn? Uh, what's a good plan that we could come up with together to help you grow into this U plus life? Uh, it's amazing a couple of things that came up for me, uh, things that I'm excited to be implementing over the next year, uh, a couple of things that came up for the people I spoke to, just that we sort of discovered in the moment. And so for you, the heartbeat behind this is we want to help you grow. We want to help you learn what it means to walk with Jesus, to submit yourself under a king, to repent, and to find this you-plus life that Jesus longs to offer us. So let me just go ahead and close with a prayer now before we transition into a time of communion. 
Lord, we hold open this series to you, this series looking to have uh, a new spark of relationship, a new spark of connection, uh, to find ourselves more deeply in love with you, God, to, to find new meaning and rhythms for our relationship to your church, and to even find ways, the Lord, the, the ways that you have planted dreams in our heart, to not just sit content, but to go out and to, to extend your healing, your justice, your mercy to the city around us. And so I pray now, Lord, that whatever, whatever stirring you're doing in hearts this morning would be a stirring that continues that even those of us who are able to fast, that you'd be deepening our hunger, Lord, through resisting, creating space for you to speak. And Lord, I do even now begin to pray over these conversations that we could have across our whole community, conversations that could open up new potential, new growth, new depth, new love, and new healing in your name. We pray now, Lord, even as we transition to this time of communion and worship, that you would feed us on this journey and that you would even today give us your daily bread. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.